Hey everyone, I'm Janet B from New Jersey, recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. Today we are going to talk about step six, um, possibly step seven if we get to it. Now step six, there's probably the least amount of material in the whole big book written on it. It's on page 76. And right after the fifth step, it asks us, okay, are we sure after step five, we do step five and a half where we look and, and we go back over our first five steps to make sure we were thorough um, because it says we're building an arch through which we shall walk a free man. Isn't that beautiful? Us with God together, building the arch that we're going to walk through to freedom. And it says, if we can say yes, that our first five steps are solid, we look at step six. And it says, we've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now let God ready to remove from us everything that's objectionable, all the defects we've and we've, um, we've discovered. And it says, if there's something we're not willing to let go of, we ask God, remember when it says we ask God, it means pray to help us be willing. And that's pretty much all it says. Um, so we're going to turn to the AA 12 and 12, which has a lot more to say. And um, so if you have your AA 12 and 12, we're on page 63. If you don't have it, don't worry about it. Um, I'll read the parts that I think are most relevant. So in it, it says that we're supposed to try repeatedly step six. I thought that's interesting because it tells us that this is a lifelong process. And what though, what exactly is this lifelong process? And it says someone who does this is entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his own creator. That in a nutshell, my friends, is what this program is all about. Growing in the image and likeness of our creator. And isn't that what a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening is? That's described on page 25 of our big book, right? Um, that God basically rewires our hearts, changes our priorities, gets rid of the defects that block us from him so that he can remake us more like him. And it says we're trying to grow in the image and likeness of our creator. Well, what is that image and likeness? What's our creator like? So I just found a couple of things in the big book. Um, in page 14, it says he's really the giver of peace and serenity. That's how Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson says that about him, that he, that he got um, a sense of victory followed by a peace and serenity as I had never known. That's how he described it when God came to him. And on page 56 of the big book, God is described as infinite power and love. And that's again, what we're growing toward, having more and more access to his power and becoming more and more loving. So still on page 63, it talks about um, someone who says, yeah, I, I was beaten, absolutely licked. My own willpower wouldn't work on alcohol. Wasn't that us with food? Our willpower didn't work no matter how much, our knowledge, how much knowledge we had, 
no matter how strong our desire, we couldn't put down the food. And this is what he says. I simply couldn't stop drinking and no human being could seem to do the job for me. But when I became willing to clean house and then asked a higher power, God, as I understood him, to give me release, my obsession to drink vanished. It was lifted right out of me. So it doesn't say I got abstinent, I put down the food, and then I decided to work steps to become more like my creator. He was saying I couldn't put the substance down, couldn't put down the alcohol, couldn't put down the food until I became willing. And that's exactly what Bill Wilson said, right? He says that as soon as, hold on, let me get the exact words for you guys. He says, as soon So he says, as soon as that he was willing to do it, he felt the presence of God come in. He, he felt it. He didn't have to do all the work. So it wasn't like he got to step nine and then he first felt God. And as um, one of my favorite sayings by Herb Kay, willingness opens the door to grace. That when we become willing, something happens. So here, this guy's saying, when I became willing to clean house and asked a higher power, and he defines higher power. He doesn't say, higher power doorknob as I understand him, or even group as I understand him. He says higher power, God, as I understand him, to give me release. As soon as I asked, my obsession to drink vanished. It was lifted right out of me. I love reading this because that was my exact experience. Um, I had been binging, stuffing bagel chips down my throat behind a locked bathroom door before a meeting. Went to a meeting. At the end of the meeting, went up to the toughest person I knew there, who I knew was no nonsense, who would let me get away with nothing. I mean, I was 23 and cute as a button at the time, and I could wrap lots of people around my finger. I picked someone who I knew I could not wrap around my finger. And I said, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I remember thinking this person lived two states away from me. And I remember thinking if I was told that I had to move two states, I would just have to find a way to do it. Luckily didn't have to move, um, but I was willing. I went out into the parking lot and I said, God, I've always had fixed ideas about you, what you were like and what you wanted of me. I'm willing to admit it's all wrong and let you show me like and what you're like and how to worship you. And my obsession to eat vanished. It was lifted right out of me. I continued with this work. So flipping the page to page 64, it says, okay, we were granted a perfect release from alcoholism but we don't get the same thing with our defects. Perfect release. So that doesn't mean my food gets better, but I'm still a little sloppy. It doesn't mean, well, I put down my trigger foods, but I'm still a volume eater. It means the obsession can really get lifted. Now, it doesn't always happen immediately where the obsession's lifted, but again, willingness gives us power. And I think sometimes we get 
just enough power to go on to the next step. So it, again, it tells us we are humbled by the terrific beating administered by alcohol or food. And only then can the grace of God enter and expel our obsession. It says, but most of our other difficulties aren't like that, right? I mean, who of us wants to be rid of our character defects as badly as we wanted to be rid of our food obsession? I mean, I didn't really say, God, please, please make me unselfish. I can't stand being selfish one second longer. Please, like I'll move two states away if you make me unselfish. We don't have that degree of willingness generally. Um, and it says, it's normal to want certain things. It says, eat, reproduce, be somebody in society. Um, and we wanna be safe and God makes us that way. These are normal instincts. But in people like us, they run amok. And it says, God doesn't expect us to fully eliminate our instinctual drives, right? If someone fully eliminates their instinctual drive to eat, they're gonna become severely anorexic and they might die from it. If someone doesn't care about safety, you know, they're gonna like walk the streets of bad neighborhoods at three in the morning. So that's not what we're supposed to do. But again, it says people like us are born and I think we cultivate an abundance of natural desires. And it says what they do. They drive us blindly and we willfully demand they supply us with more satisfaction or pleasure than is even possible or even that's due to us. So for instance, I got married late. I was 39 when I met my husband. It was my first marriage. It was his first marriage. But probably between the age of 18 and 38, I thought about getting married a lot. And for a long time, I thought that it was due me. It wasn't due me. My marriage is a gift. And I think for me and for people like us, life is a lot easier when we see everything as gift. So it tells us that um, to the degree that we depart from what God wishes from us, that's the measure of our character defects. And then it says, and what a beautiful line. If we ask, God will certainly forgive our derelictions. God will always forgive us, right? But here's the condition, we have to ask. Now, that might seem weird, right? God can read my mind, can read my heart, knows every single bad thing I've ever done, why do I have to ask? He just knows. Why can't he just do it? Well, for one, it takes some humility on my part to ask. And I think God isn't concerned. God doesn't have a desire to be my genie. God wants a relationship with me, one where I trust and rely on him. And that involves asking. It involves asking. Um, so it says, God will forgive us, but in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. So it looks like there's really two parts to it, right? It's kind of a, two things, God's part and my part. 
if it was all up to me, I would be anxious, right? I'd have a lot of anxiety because I'm not capable of doing it. But if I thought it was all up to God, I would be the laziest person on the planet. Like all I have to do is snap my fingers and my genie God will come and make me unselfish and make me this and that. And it's like, no. So I should have a combination of incentive and assurance. Okay, so step six, it says, um, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of characters. That's our attitude. But they're not all lifted out of us the same way that the obsession with food is often removed. Um, it says a few of them may be, but with most, most of them, we get patient improvement, which means I have to keep working. I had one for me, um, a really awful one I had was dishonesty. I mean, anyone who's heard me talk knows my dishonesty was so incredible that I would like go into a hospital and say that I'd been raped and go through a rape test and take penicillin so I don't get syphilis from my fake rapist. I mean, I was just dishonest. When I was um, in high school, I don't think I ever said this one here. I, you know, all my friends had boyfriends and I didn't. So I cut out a picture from a newspaper of this really cute boy and said that he was my boyfriend. And then when it started getting too many questions, I just said, oh, he died of a heroin overdose. I mean, I was so dishonest. When my, that sponsor, the one who I couldn't wrap around my finger agreed to sponsor me, I was told any dishonesty, I would be dropped because I might not have the power to do certain things, but I had the power to put a guard over my own mouth. So I did, which meant that since I was so used to being dishonest, if I said something untruthful right away, I would say, wait, what I just said to you, that was a lie. And shortly afterwards, now I have to tell you, if I were to tell a lie, I would feel like I was gonna throw up. I am, it's just, it, it would, it just goes against everything in me. Even my kids, when they would say, mom, did you read my text? They would know if I did, I would have to confess. So, um, however, things like pride and selfishness and sloth, I'm sorry to say that those are alive and well in me. Although, um, glory to God, I am much improved. So page 66, they start talking about different defects that we have. And I know we've considered some of the big ones, right? Selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, fear, but it talks about some more. And it says, okay, no one wants to be so proud. He's called a braggart. No one wants to be angry enough to murder lustful enough to rape, gluttonous enough to ruin his health. So I thought it was worth spe maybe spending just a couple thoughts on a couple of these defects. Um, gluttony, to me, I always thought it's like, okay, someone who eats too much. And I didn't really um, apply it to myself because, you know, it's like a disease. So it's hard to think that way. But then I read a definition that made me say, oh, gluttony, the inability to live a life of delayed gratification. It's 
me, the inability to live a life of delayed gratification. So when we have gluttony, the love of like pleasurable physical sensation dominates. Again, doesn't have to be food. And gluttony means like, we always wanna take the easy way out. So, um, and the great mistake here, the, the lie behind gluttony is that we seek happiness directly rather than as a byproduct of living well. And maybe a way, so again, God's way is to remove it, but how do I counteract it? You know, I don't think it's to, you know, just practice, I will deprive myself of everything, but maybe it's giving generously, especially to the less fortunate, give up something of my own physical comfort um, that gives me a deeper joy that's a byproduct of depriving myself, not for the sake of depriving, my, depriving myself, but for the sake of God and other people. So again, an, um, and it says, no one wants to be agonized by the chronic pain of envy or to be paralyzed by sloth. And again, sloth, something else that I did looked up a bit. Having an inordinate desire for ease, rest, and comfort. Again, guilty. Um, people who are slothful don't love life enough to work hard to enjoy more of it and don't love people enough to work hard so that they can enjoy more of it. And again, um, slothful people like me demand to have their own schedule and are often too self-absorbed to notice windows of opportunity that once closed are gone forever. It's just, I wanna rest. It's, I've gone to work, I come home, no one bother me until I've rested as long as I think I deserve. So again, a more subtle defect, but a defect. Um, it talks, again, it always talks about pride. Who doesn't like to feel just a little superior to the next fellow or even quite a lot superior? And isn't it true that we let greed masquerade as ambition? So again, greed, what is greed really? Putting wealth before moral principle. The greedy person doesn't merely enjoy wealth, but trusts in it. So the, again, these were just things I read that were helpful to me. So I'm just passing them on in case they're, um, they're helpful. And it talks about people speaking love when, so that they can legitimately have imaginary sex excursions, dressed up in as dreams of romance, you know? So again, lust being a character defect. They go on to talk about self-righteous anger, which is very enjoyable, that we take satisfaction from the fact that people annoy us, right? If I say, oh, she's so annoying, what is that really doing? It's really me being superior to that person. Right? Who am I to be annoyed by anyone? I'm like one of the most annoying people I know half the time. And then it talks about gossip. Um, and it says gossiped barbed with anger is a polite form of murder 
by character assassination, right? And it says, we're not trying to help people we criticize. We're trying to proclaim our own righteousness. And here's a definition of gossip I saw. Negative information that may or may not be true. So it may, just because it's true doesn't mean it isn't gossip. But what's it designed to do? It's designed to make the speaker and the hearer feel superior to the object of the gossip. And just so that uh, when it's called a polite form of murder by character assassination, that shows me kind of how deadly it is. Um, and again, envy. They say we talk about we live in a world riddled with envy and to a greater or lesser effect, we are all riddled with it. What's envy? Being obsessed with what I deserve instead of remembering that all is grace and that only because God is good do I get more than what I deserve. See, so it's interesting because I always thought envy was looking at what other people have and wanting it. But to think of it as being, I deserve it, right? If someone has something because she works really hard at her job, I wouldn't really be envious because I would say, you know what, she works really hard. She's entitled to that nicer car or nicer house or nicer clothes or whatever. But I get envious if I say, well, I deserve that. Why shouldn't I have that too? Or even worse, why shouldn't I have it instead? So again, an antidote, um, we ask God to remove it, but how do I work on it? To remind myself that everything I have is grace. Everything I have is a gift. And then um, my personal favorite, um, I say with sarcasm, is our talent for procrastination, which is really sloth in five syllables right? Procrastination, like, why is that so bad? But they're saying, yeah, you know, we are people who aren't supposed to procrastinate because isn't procrastination a kind of self-will? I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do because I'm going to do what I want to do instead. Um, and a couple of others, self-pity, right? Um, a friend of mine once said, self-pity parties end with a cake. And I know in AA, they say, pour me, pour me, pour me a drink, right? You know, we are people, maybe earth people can, you know, break up with their boyfriend and have a little self-pity binge. We cannot. Um, self-pity is dangerous because it tells me that because of the suffering I've gone through, I deserve pleasures that I know are wrong because of the suffering I've gone through, I deserve things that I know are really wrong. And I think the last defect I wanna to touch on, again, just because these are things I need to hear for myself, um, is hypersensitivity. And in the big book, it says, we alcoholics are extremely sensitive people. And it sounds good, like, oh, we like poetry and sunsets. But no, the next line says, it takes some of us a long time to outgrow this serious 
handicap. So what's hypersensitivity? That's anything anyone tells me. Um, I'm either resistant to it or, you know, I'm offended by it. Like I just get offended easily. And here's to a beautiful quote I read on this. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I'm touchy, I'm hypersensitive because I feel I have to defend my own glory or honor, right? Like my ego is just too sensitive. But if my ego was working properly and knew its place, um, I would know that real glory is to let a slight or an irritation go without paying it back, to just be able to forgive. And I would say even better, not even have to forgive, to get to the point where I don't even notice that I've been offended. So these are some of the defects um, that we wanna identify. And that's why when I give my sponsees their fourth step to do, I always give them a little defect guide to do, to just write down their defects um, and write an example from their own lives. So when they get to step six and seven, they're very specific about what they're asking God to remove. Um, so again, page 68, someone says, okay, how can we accept the entire implication of step six? Why that is perfection. And they say, no, it, we can't. The only thing we can really practice with perfection is when we make the 100% admission that we are 100% powerless over food or alcohol. Um, the remaining 11 steps are perfect ideals. They're goals we look for, and they're measuring sticks by which we estimate our progress. And I think that's really important. I think the people who really um, do well in recovery are people who don't let anything go by. Um, that, so I don't say, well, you know, I'm done pretty well today. I've gone to a meeting, I've worked with sponsees, I went to work, I made dinner for my family. Yeah, so I was hypersensitive. Yeah, so I was prideful. Yeah, who cares? I don't do that. Um, I mean, sometimes in the moment I do, but when I do my review of the day, I sit there and, and I do say, you know, I was prideful, I was selfish, you know, and only again, remember the formula. I mean, I hate to call it a formula because it's God's grace. So I'll say the mechanism God put in place for him to remove our defects is I have to admit them and go to him and ask him to remove them. So if I'm selfish, it does me no good to pretend I don't notice and pretend God doesn't notice because then I can't go to him. It's almost like having a horrible rash and going to the doctor and not showing him my rash, right? I, I need to show God my spiritual rashes. So I'm only bringing these things up, not so we all go away feeling like even worse about ourselves, but so that we have hope like, wait, here's this stuff. And as I like dredge it up, I can bring it to God and it can start being gone. It can start being diminished. And the more it's diminished, the more we grow to be more like God. 
So it tells us, okay, we have to ask ourselves, are we ready? And it says, you know, some things maybe a person will say, well, I can't give it up yet, in which case we pray. But it says we should never say to ourselves, this I shall never give up. And I say, well, why would someone not be willing, right? Why would someone say, yeah, I'm not willing to give this up? And I remember the first time I went through the steps, I thought, if I give up my anger toward this other person, if God removes this anger and my vengefulness and mean-spiritedness, then the other person gets away with what they did to me. So I saw I didn't really want God to remove my anger because then the other person would get away with it. Well, what's the antidote? Do I want God to hold me to that standard? Okay, Janet, I, you know, you don't have to forgive that person. And then I won't forgive you and other people won't forgive you. And you won't, you know, you'll have to like pay lots of penalties for what you did. Well, I don't want that. God has forgiven me so much. Um, I need to be able to forgive others. So I think when we're not willing for something, we need to really wrestle with it, go to our sponsors and talk about it. Why am I not willing? Um, and it tells us is the moment we say never, I don't want you to remove this God, our minds close against the grace of God. And that is a very dangerous place to be in. It says delay is dangerous and rebellion may be fatal. Um, so this is the exact point where we ask God to remove all our defects, where we abandon limited objectives. Keep me away from the food. Big, we have bigger objectives now and we move toward God's will for us. I love that. So we stop running from food and we're running toward an enhanced relationship with God. What does that mean? Me becoming more like God, me being of more use to God. So it's at this point at step six, where it tells us it's the exact point where we stop running from and start running toward. And that's all I got.